Sit back down and shut your trap. It's time for them to break. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Ah, good evening, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this third day of January for 2022. This is Keeping It Sports with M3. Hope you're all enjoying your Monday. Hope you all had a very happy, safe, healthy start to this new year. And I guess probably tomorrow is about that day where you could stop if you have seen someone for the first time saying, oh, happy new year. Because, you know, after the first week, it kind of gets redundant unless you haven't seen someone in a long time. But, uh, you know, just when we thought we were going to get from 2021 into 2022, it was going to be kind of a calm, peaceful transition into a new year and you know look for brighter times ahead even with all the craziness that continues to go on with uh, this pandemic we are dealt with uh, a couple of kicks below the belt in the last couple of days of 2021 each and every turn uh, leaving you like what the hell I mean, of course, with six days ago, the passing of NFL legend John Madden, who, you know, I remember about two months ago, I, since we hadn't heard much about Madden recently, I turned to some of my family. I'm like, is John Madden still alive? Because I was talking about getting uh, the Madden video game for PlayStation 5 for Christmas. And I'm like, oh, 85, good for him, glad to see he's alive. And then you start seeing the commercials promoting that um, special that Fox was airing about John Madden with everyone sitting around uh, from broadcasters, players, uh, coaches, giving their thoughts, their opinions on John Madden, how well-respected, how loved he was in the football community. And to see his reaction, see him, you know, get to see all the people talk about him, talk about how much they loved him, how much they respected him. It, it was very heartwarming. It was very good to see. But what is it? Three days after it airs, unfortunately, John Madden passed away at the age of 85 to reasons that have not been released, but quite frankly, are none of our business. Why? But I mean, you think about his football life, his his football career when it pertains to the NFL. A lot of people's memory of John Madden is going to be based on how old they were, because 
he touched a lot of different generations. I mean, if you're if you're north of 50 years old, you remember John Madden as the legendary head coach of the Oakland Raiders. And what's interesting is, you know, talk about him as one of the great coaches in the history of this sport. Uh, and he only coached 10 years. From the age of 33 to 42, a, a spanning from 1969 to 1978, he was only a head coach for 10 years, but had a phenomenal record as head coach of the Oakland Raiders going 103-32-7 in 10 years. Never had a losing season. I believe his worst year was his final year. They went, I think they went 9-7 in his final year. And he uh, guided them to winning uh, Super Bowl nine in uh, 1977. And what's interesting is nowadays if someone leaves coaching at that age, we're like, oh, they'll be back. And, you know, all these these guys uh, usually come back with the exception of uh, Bill Cowher. But he, you know, left coaching after the seventy after seventy eight and got into broadcasting, and that's where I think a majority of people are going to remember him, especially myself. You know, if you're 40 years old or younger, you're going to remember John Madden as one of the greatest broadcasters of all time across any line of sports uh, genre um, with his work as an NFL uh, broadcaster. Probably well regarded as the best of all time when it comes to color commentary. You know, many have strived to be like him, but no one has ever been like him. Because what was what was great about Madden as a broadcaster is he didn't try to feed you all this BS. He didn't try to be all technical with you. That you know, something that I thought Tony Romo uh, was bad at in his first year as a broadcaster, but got better since uh it isn't as much of oh you know what this play was what that play was you know the the specific name and tech terminology of it he just told you like you saw it watching on tv that's how he described it you know it was that plain and simple and he was the first of the guys that would not just would he have you know the big um, you know, white notepad uh, in the background that he'd sometimes draw out plays, but he would also uh, use uh, the monitor, you know, drawing things out on the screen as the game was going on or as they were uh, looking at replays. And for things like that, he was just absolutely beloved and cherished by the entire football community. And it was, you know, he had multiple partners as his career went along here and there in the beginning. But we all will always remember him for his work with Pat Summerall. That was the original A-team, the A-squad when it came to NFL broadcasting. You know, from 
1981 to 2001 when Pat Summerall uh, uh, left broadcasting you knew that oh madden and, and uh summer all coming into town that's the game of the week that's the game that 80 percent of the nation is going to see that week and it got the players jacked up they'd see they'd see that madden bus come pulling into the parking lot because you know john didn't like to uh fly due to the fact that uh a plane accident from early in his life kind of scared him off uh, from that but you see the madden bus coming into town and you knew it was a big spot you knew it was a big moment that john madden and pat summerall were going to be calling your game and they worked across uh you know multiple broadcast networks you know uh Madden started at, at CBS in the late 70s when he first began broadcasting. And then when Fox uh, bought the rights to NBC, the NFC package, excuse me, in uh, 94, they moved over there until uh, Madden would uh, go work with Al Michaels on Monday Night Football on ABC until 2005 when uh, the, the two of them were, were moved along with that package to NBC for the Sunday night combo where he would finish his uh, career. And he's he's the only uh, uh, broadcaster in uh, American television that worked all four of these uh, major networks. And... Now, eventually, 2009, he would retire after that great Steelers-Cardinals uh, Super Bowl. But he was just—he was so awesome to listen to. It's so, uh, such a—he never made the game about himself, even though he was such a character in his own right. It was always about the game when John Madden uh, was calling it. And then, of course, you know he's got to be remembered for what. Most young people remember him for something that is even still to this day a big part of my life. That being the video game, Madden, the video game that I remember it started off in 88. It was called John Madden Football and it evolved over the years to what it has become today. Now, at one point there was that a little curse that went along with being on the cover of it where if you were on the cover, your team didn't make the playoffs that year or you uh, got injured during that year. But, you know, all walks of life, John Madden, when it comes to football fans, um, had an impact on as a coach, as a broadcaster, and then uh, with the video game. And thanks to all of that, his... uh, Legacy will live on in the NFL uh, community. It was, you know, it was sad to see. It was uh, really disappointing, but he lived a very, very good uh, football life. And that was, you know, one of three uh, tragic passings that went on over the course of uh, this week. As far as you know, well-known passings. Of course, uh, on Saturday. Uh, Dan Reeves, uh, former NFL coach, uh, passed away due to uh, complications from uh, dementia. He'd been uh, battling for a long time. And Dan Reeves, 
his football career kind of gets in some ways underrated. Uh, you know, I don't want to say it gets mocked because there's a lot of people in the sport that respect him. But he was a player, won a Super Bowl uh, with uh, the Dallas Cowboys, was a you know, solid uh, running back in his day. But he's most remembered for what he did as an NFL head coach. Between his time with the Broncos, the Giants, and the Falcons. And you know, why he isn't probably respected more than he uh, should be is because of the fact that he didn't win a Super Bowl. It's that plain and simple. You look at his, his track record. Pretty good in the regular season, 190, 165, and 2. A winning record in the playoffs. Been, went to four Super Bowls. He's one of nine head coaches in league history to win uh, 200 uh, total games between the regular and postseason. But there's the fact that he's got he's tied for the most playoff wins without um, winning a Super Bowl. And he's got a um, tie with Bud Grant and Marv Levy for uh, the um, most appearances in a Super Bowl without winning a championship. And, you know, you look at the back at those. He lost. It's not like he lost to like some scrubs. It's not like you, you picked them off the street. He lost to the '86 Giants. You know, with L. Tate. He lost to uh, the Washington Football Team in '87 when they were still known as the Redskins. Uh, the 49ers, uh, led by uh, Montana. It, you know those uh, three appearances with Elway, and then. He would go to back to the Super Bowl with uh, the Atlanta Falcons when they defeated the the Vikings in the NFC Championship game in '98. Something a lot of people didn't think was possible. That was viewed as uh, one of the great offensive units of all time, but got outclassed, outmanned by who else but Elway and the Broncos in what would be Elway's final game. In uh, the Super Bowl, now all in total, you look at he was a a solid player when he played for the Cowboys uh, back in the late 60s into the 70s. And then in total over the course of his entire NFL career, nine appearances in the Super Bowl. Two as a player, three as an assistant coach, and then four as a head coach. Now, a very uh, um, respectable career that probably does not get as much love and appreciation as it should. And listen, I know this is a sports podcast, but this was one that I think touched everybody's hearts, broke everybody's hearts when we found out on Friday afternoon, of course, of the passing of you know, actress uh, Betty White. No, at just the age of 99. I, you know, it's interesting. I saw a meme over the weekend that said, you know you lived an amazing life when you lived to 99 and people say you died too soon. And you know, it, it doesn't matter if you uh, weren't a fan of the show he, she was most well-known for, Golden Girls, back in the 80s, or any of the... Um, 
reoccurring roles that she started um, over the course of her career. Betty White was beloved by so many people across this country. She, She had garnered the nickname of being, whether she liked it or not, as America's grandma. You know, there, there were people when the pandemic started was like, oh my God, someone please go protect Betty White. We, we can't lose her of all people. Uh, because, you know, she was just such a funny, lovable personality. Uh, I remember, what was it, a little over 10 years ago, there was a petition to get her to be the host of Saturday Night Live and with uh, this tragic news the other day, uh, NBC actually re-aired that this past uh, Saturday night on uh, New Year's night. I mean, her, you, you look at her uh, career, she's the only woman to have received Emmys in all performing comedic, comedic categories, uh, holds the record for longest span between Emmy nominations, um, at over 60 years, won five primetime Emmys, f- f- two daytime Emmys, just a beloved personality ch- cherished by m- millions around this country. And the the biggest shame of it all is two weeks from today would have been her 100th birthday, something that I know a lot of people were counting down to and looking forward to. So for Betty White, Dan Reeves, John Madden, God rest your souls, and condolences to all of those that love them, their family members, friends, may all three of you rest in peace. As I've expressed many times, I am not just a New York Jets fan, but I am also a New York Jets season ticket holder. So eight to nine Sundays out of the football season, I put myself through the anxiety of going and watching this franchise that is still trying to figure out how to become a real respectable NFL team. And now yesterday was interesting, uh, on a lot of fronts in their game because you got a little bit of everything. You almost got a, what would have been humongous upset by the New York Jets, something I'll address later on. But of course we know what the real story was from that game yesterday. And I'm still kicking myself for the fact that I didn't notice this was going on live when it happened because I would have, I had my phone out. I would have loved to have recorded this as it was happening. But of course, we're talking about the Antonio Brown incident. Where with about three minutes to go in the third quarter, he walked out on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the reason I didn't notice this as it was going on is because the Bucks were driving down the field. You know where I'm standing at MetLife Stadium. I'm standing in this place on the, the second level. It's called the, the Fubu uh, Sportsbook uh, um, Club or 
FUBU Sportsbook uh, Bar, and there's an outside, uh, you know, kind of patio where you can stand up against the railing, get a great view of the game, and it's lined lined up with the visitors' sideline. But as this was going on, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were driving down the field and drive driving down the field toward us. So I'm paying attention to the game action. And a couple minutes later, I start getting text messages saying that Antonio Brown just quit on the Buccaneers. I'm like, wait a minute, what? Brown quit on the box. I didn't notice anything. And I look at the video and I'm like, this, I wish I would have seen this live because this is as wild, crazy, and chaotic a uh, moment as we've seen during an NFL game. Because remember, what was it? A year and a half, two years ago, Vontae Davis walked out on the Buffalo Bills at halftime. We There have been... Over the years, there have been guys that have quit on their team, but not as the game is going on, as there's action going on on the field. And as the story goes, Bruce Arians tried to get uh, Brown to go back into the game. He refused twice, claiming that this previous ankle injury he was battling had flared up. And Arians was not going to accept any of his crap and told him to leave. But my thinking is, is that when he told him to leave, he was telling him, just go back to the locker room. I'm not going to deal with your nonsense right now. I'll deal with it uh, later. And Brown, being the person that he is, decides to throw a hissy fit, takes off his helmet, takes off his jersey and shoulder pads, throws that at the at the bench, throws his gloves and undershirt into the crowd. And as play is going on, he's running across the three-yard line through the end zone to get to the visitor's tunnel and waving goodbye to the crowd, you know, pumping them up as he's all waving goodbye. And he, In some of the videos you see, he tried to get calmed down by his teammates, O.J. Howard and Mike Evans, and that was uh, no use. And Brown just essentially quit on the Buccaneers. Now, maybe maybe that gave some way, somehow gave new life to the Bucs because they were in the least possible uh, thing you would imagine were trailing 24 to 10 to the Jets at the time. And would end up coming back to win twenty-eight to twenty-four. But you know, a, cu- a couple of things when it comes to Antonio Brown. A, you figured that there was going to be something else when it comes to this guy. You, you had to figure that the fake vaccination card was not going to be the final, no, n- piece of. I don't know. You won't call it nonsense, antics, uh, you know, attempt at a distraction for um, Bruce Arians and the Buccaneers to have to deal with when it comes to this guy on their squad. Because Bruce Arians did not want this guy on his team. This was kind of, it felt like two things happened here. One, it was media driven because the media saw Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay brings Gronkowski with him. 
There's a lot of uh, star players from other teams that took lesser roles that came in here, such as uh, Leonard Fournette. And being as Brown played one game with the Patriots the year prior, and it was Brady that uh, voiced for coming in, maybe they would uh, throw Brady another bone here. And eventually Tom would win out on that. But then you have what happened this year where not only was he dealing with an ankle injury, but while doing so got suspended for three games for uh, providing the NFL with a fake vaccination card and breaking NFL protocols. And you figured that with Bruce Arians saying this is that was um a one-and-done scenario for Antonio Brown. Any instances here, he's gone. That, oh, as soon as the, the suspension, excuse me, was up, that they'd get rid of him. But there were injuries. You know, Mike Evans is currently playing with a hamstring injury. They had lost Fournette. They lost Godwin for the year to a torn ACL. And they kind of needed him. You figured... Oh, maybe he'll be on his best behavior because he had incentives in his contract that now he doesn't get due to the fact that he's been cut. You know, he was eight catches away from another uh, three hundred thirty grand, fifty-five uh, uh, receiving yards away from another three hundred thirty-three grand, and the same amount for one more receiving touchdown that you figured were all within shouting distance based on the injury to Godwin, based on they're not running the football much without Fournette. Uh, Evans is dealing with an, an ailment. Now, Gronkowski up until yesterday seemed like he was a little bit in Brady's uh, doghouse since uh, the Saints game. And with the fact that Tom force-fed him the football last week with 15 targets in his return from the suspension. You thought that this guy had a good chance of getting that. Maybe he'd stay on best behavior for doing that. But let's face it, all of this was predictable. You know, Bill Parcells once said, you are what your record says you are. Well, Antonio Brown, we could have predicted this. It was just a matter of time when it blew up in an incident on the field. I mean, you look at the last three years, his uh, track record here is not that good. He forced his way out of Pittsburgh um, with wanting a contract extension, and and they had soured on him before that with the, you know, IG Live or Facebook Live video that he he took of a uh, post-game speech by Mike Tomlin telling the guys, you know, no BS this week. Let's be all business, no distractions. They, he began to wear his welcome there. He gets traded to uh, the Raiders, doesn't even play a game for them because he gets cut before the start of the season due to an, an altercation uh with uh, both GM Mike Mayock and head coach John Gruden. He would summit the Patriots get cut after playing one game due to reports coming out about uh, sexual assault allegations. And there were also previous reports about an incident where he was throwing uh, 
furniture out of a, a second floor apartment that I think some of it actually did hit someone. All of that would lead to him getting an eight-game suspension to start the 2020 season. And once that was over, he, he signed with the Bucks and was you know, kind of on his best behavior there. Was, um, I wouldn't say a key cog, but was a uh, useful piece in them winning a Super Bowl. Would eventually re-sign with them for uh, one year before... Now, all of this broke out, all of the, the recent transgressions. And, you know, the human side of me hopes for the best for this guy, hopes that he gets some, some kind of help. The fan side of me is like, who the hell wants to sign this guy? Who the hell is going to want to put up with his nonsense? Because you had the one quarterback that has equal control to any head coach uh, that he plays for in Tom Brady. That was back in this guy that at times had him living at his house uh, when he was both with New England and um, with the Bucks. He trusted Antonio Brown. He was a big supporter of his. And Brown blew that. Now, the, now Arians, who's a no-nonsense guy, had kind of uh, dug his nose into the sand and realized, oh, we need a fresh body here um, after the suspension and kind of uh, had to bite his lip and bring this guy back. But, you know, he's got many friends around the league. He's probably told them, you know, what a pain in the ass he was to deal with during this time. So, I know there's the whole process, the whole thought of never say never, but how can anyone truly expect this guy to be trustable on an NFL roster again? How can you feel confident in bringing in Antonio Brown and thinking that there won't be another incident? There won't be another way that he either embarrasses your team on or off the field or proves that he can be a reliable player uh, for you when healthy. Because, uh, quite frankly, he's it feels like he's blown all of his chances. I mean, there are those that want to compare this to Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon's issues dealt with, you know, pot, dealt with marijuana. It didn't, it wasn't, he doesn't, to my knowledge, have any sexual assault allegations. He doesn't have um, attempts of getting in a fight with the general manager or head coach. Doesn't doesn't have violating a, a COVID protocol on his uh, track record. And last time I checked, he didn't walk out on a team during a game. And then for Brown to go as public as he did after the game, acting like it's one big joke, now, to me, when he was waving to the fans at MetLife yesterday, he wasn't just waving to them goodbye, I'll see you later. No, he was waving goodbye for his NFL career. And, no, you could say it's sad, you say it's a shame, but quite frankly, all of this should have been very predictable. And now it hurts the Buccaneers because they are 
they were in a battle when it comes to uh, playoff seating. I mean, they clinched the NFC South long ago, but yesterday, going into yesterday, they had still a reasonable shot at the one seed in the NFC postseason. Now, that was all wiped away. No matter what they would have done yesterday, that was wiped away with uh, the beating that the Packers gave to an undermanned Vikings team on Sunday Night Football. A team that was without their quarterback and Kirk Cousins after testing positive for COVID. And even with some of the injuries that the Packers are dealing with on their offensive line, uh, being on the third left tackle, uh, being without their best pass rusher in Zadarius Smith, they've still got one of the favorites for the MVP award in Aaron Rodgers. They've still got the best wide receiver in this sport in Devontae Adams. And you know, from the first quarter on, it was a mismatch. It was... No, non-competitive, and Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth had to figure out enough things to talk about to keep us interested in this game. But the Buccaneers, are what they're still competing for now is the two through four seeds against the Rams and the Cowboys. And you now you look at both the Rams and the Cowboys, and you now as good as their records say they are, I don't completely trust them because, you know, the the Rams, yes, Stafford was great late in the game, was perfect 8-for-8 with uh, over 120 QB rating in the fourth quarter. But he still had back-to-back interception drives in the first quarter. He's thrown five interceptions in the last two games and got bailed out yesterday because they were playing a Ravens team that is missing corners all over the place. It's now starting to catch up to them, not having Lamar Jackson as their quarterback. And they've, you know, kind of slid out of uh, playoff contention here with their fifth consecutive loss, a team that once upon a time we thought maybe could challenge the Chiefs in the AFC. But... For as much weaponry as he's had, remember Stafford's been in the playoffs only two, three times in his career. This is a new, for as much of a veteran as he is, as much experience as he has, this is a new experience for him being a a, a potential division winner. Now, that's not completely locked up, but uh, they've got a Good chance at getting it next week. But being a division winner, getting a home playoff game to uh, start the postseason where they would be uh, heavy favorites in, something that, a pressure that he's never had to deal with throughout his NFL career. And then you got the Cowboys who were riding high into yesterday. Everyone's talking about, oh, Dak's off of his slump. Uh, they're coming into this game rolling. The defense, uh, you got stars on each level. And yesterday, Kyler Murray comes into AT&T and just continue to do what he's done all his life. And that's just when. I mean, 9-0 now between high school, college, and the pros at AT&T uh, Stadium. 
And the Cowboys, you know, and their fans are going to sit here today and bitch and moan about penalties. You know, complain about how, oh, we never were able to get on track because uh, there were costly penalties. We weren't allowed to review that fumble at the end. Well, let's face it. The Cowboys did this to themselves. A, they can't run the football right now. I mean, Tony Pollard, who every Cowboy fan out there loved and wanted to become the primary back, must be dealing with some kind of injury because he was barely of use yesterday. And Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, someone, where'd the guy from three years ago go? This guy has fallen off the face of the earth. I see him on the field. I see him walk out there. But I don't see him doing anything of use, doing anything of merit to help this team win games. And the, the, the fact the Cardinals were a team that you could run the football against. They had been allowing over 110 rushing yards per game. And you get all of 25 total rushing yards against them. Between that, the fact that, you know, with your limitations on offense recently, they're not a team that can drive uh, down the field. They need short uh, fields to work with. And their defense didn't force any turnovers uh, yesterday. They couldn't get a stop against the Cardinals late when there was still four and a half minutes left on the clock. You had two timeouts, and the Cardinals were able to run out the clock. And you know, one of Mike McCarthy's mistakes came back to, to bite them. You know, there was what was a clear fumble and recovery by the Cowboys in the final two and a half minutes of that game along their sidelines. But they couldn't review it because they were out of timeouts. And why were they out of timeouts? Because of a boneheaded decision by either McCarthy or one of the players on the field to call that timeout late in the third quarter. You know, the Cardinals, they're you know, unsure whether they're going for the fourth down or going to kick a field goal. They've got both Kyler Murray and kicker Matt Prater on the field, and they line up Matt Prater as a wide receiver. And McCarthy decides to use a timeout there because he got lost and confused on the moment when you know damn well that even if they were lining up, that they were either A, trying to get the Cowboys to jump off sides, or B, Matt Prater wasn't going to take off. It was going to be one of those situations where a wide receiver was deemed ineligible. He was a decoy. So why are you falling for... Kingsbury's trap. Why are you falling for that, you know, decoy there? You know, I just came off of last week saying that, oh, this felt like a different Dallas Cowboys team. But yesterday was a same head, same old boneheaded kind of moment for the Dallas Cowboys that them and their fans have no one to blame but themselves. Now, next week begins territory that we've never experienced. Week 18 of the regular season in the NFL. And 
what's interesting about this week 18 is that even though you have a lot of games that are not going to matter in the grand scheme of things, you're still going to have a lot of playoff seating on the line and division titles on the line. And what's good is they've placed these games in a way that you're playing as at the same time as teams that you're battling up against. Well, a few exceptions being with the Chiefs playing on Saturday night or Saturday evening against the Denver Broncos, who, you know, yesterday the Chiefs had pretty tough loss there against uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Another uh, damn near record-setting day by Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I mean, Jamar Chase had more receiving yards than Patrick Mahomes had passing yards in yesterday's game. He had more, he had as many catches uh, as uh, Hill and Kelsey had combined. And some of that was due to the fact that um, after trailing 28-14 early, uh, the, the Bengals offense was unstoppable in that second half. And when you keep your offense on the field for a long time, has a way of icing the opposition. I mean, uh, the Chiefs put up 28 in the first half and managed only a field goal in that second half. And I know at times Burrow has been turnover prone, has uh, been mistake prone, but what I like about this guy is he has got a swagger and a calmness all mixed together. Something that you look for when you're drafting a young star quarterback, hopeful star quarterback, and that's what he's becoming before our eyes. Now, he's got the swagger off the field where he's smoking a cigar post-game. He's uh, rocking out in the locker room celebrating. But during the game, he's got ice in his veins. You know, There's no throw he's not a afraid to make. Even if he throws two interceptions in the first half, he's going to come out back out there, continue slinging it down the field to his buddy Jamar Chase, who, you know, if he is not the offensive rookie of the year, then I'm not sure what people are looking at because the Bengals preseason by most were predicted to be fourth in this division. By most people, they were expected to be you know, five or six win team. And as good as Burrow showed in flashes last year before the ACL injury, you thought that, oh, it was going to take some time for him to recover from that. And there would be a team that got better as the year went along, but wouldn't be a factor in the postseason. But the Bengals, you know, they've finally got a head coach in there that's got control of the team. You don't have any real pain in the asses on that team like you had in years past when the Bengals were making the postseason, but making us wish uh, we did something else with our time rather than watch their playoff games. And Burrow, you know, like I said, damn near record performance where he's um, doing things for this organization that quarterbacks have not done since Boomer Esiason uh, was there, well, like 
30 years ago. Now, they did get bailed out a little bit on a couple of calls by uh, the officials, whether it be the dueling holding penalties on the, the uh, fourth and goal situation in the final minute. And then when uh, Snead got called for a illegal hands to the face on the next play, allowed them to run the clock down and hit the game winning field goal. But that's the best win for the Cincinnati Bengals in a long time. And that win has ramifications. A, it locked up the AFC North for them. And B, it took Mahomes and the Chiefs out of the number one spot in the AFC. Now, with that loss and the Titans beating up on the Dolphins yesterday, the Titans are one win away from being the number one seed and having a first round bye in the AFC postseason. You know, give a lot of credit to Mike Vrabel for what he's done with the Tennessee Titans. A team that, no, quite frankly, I can't figure out because there was there was that three-week stretch there where it seemed like they were turning over the football four or five times a game where Ryan Tannehill had turned back into the Miami Ryan Tannehill and thought that the opposition was who he was supposed to throw the football to. And in that, the fact that they've been without Derrick Henry for two months uh, with his foot injury, they've had to use 88 different players this year between injuries and COVID situations. I mean, they've had 35 guys on either the injured reserve or uh, the COVID reserve list. And yesterday, going up against a team uh, in the Dolphins that have won seven games in a row, albeit against less than inferior uh, competition, but they handled business at home, knocked the Dolphins out of postseason contention, and now sit here one win away from being uh, the one seed and having home field advantage throughout the AFC postseason. Now, what does that matter in the end? Because we've seen teams have that first round bye, have home field advantage, and it really does nothing for them, has no significant meaning. You know, last year the Packers hosted the NFC title game against the Buccaneers, and Aaron Rodgers is still waiting for Mike LaFleur to give him an opportunity to go out there um, on fourth down rather than kick a field goal. There have been plenty of teams that have had that one seed and blown it. It's a matter of how you handle uh, the situation. And, you know, a big key for them, I don't know whether he's playing next week or they're going to give him more time to be ready for the, uh, you know, the divisional round of the playoffs if they do happen to get the first round by because they are playing the Texans next week. And albeit the Texans have been game uh, recently, have um, been uh, very competitive. They're still a four win team and you would expect the Titans uh, to handle business against them. The, the key is when are they going to have uh, Derrick Henry available for him? How available is he going to be? And if they've got them at full strength when they go and to play Kansas City, this time it would be in their building. 
And if Derrick Henry is Der the Derrick Henry we all expect, they dominate time of possession and keep Mahomes and company off the field. That's how you beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Do not let Patrick Mahomes touch the football. I mean, I know it seems you know, kind of simple, but you know, that's that right there is how John Madden would explain it to you. Just keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands, and you've got a great chance of winning the game. Now, it took until January, the first week of January, but we finally had some movement when it came to, you know, playoff teams. Because for a while there, you had still 12 teams in each conference alive when it came to postseason bids. You, you know, you would see a team here or there drop out. But yesterday, you had six teams eliminated. Mentioned... Uh, the uh, the Dolphins uh, before they they were knocked out uh, thanks to the loss to uh, Tennessee. Uh, the Broncos were knocked out when they uh, got beat down by Justin Herbert and uh, the Chargers, who you know finally decided to get out of their own way and uh, put themselves in a spot where all they got to do is win next week and they're in the playoffs. But that is going to be. Uh, Tougher than it sounds. The Washington football team who was eliminated, who, no, they finally stopped fighting each other on the sidelines and decided they wanted to play football. But problem is they have Taylor Heineke as their quarterback, who, as well as he's played at times this year, yesterday showed you why he's just kind of a meh quarterback. Not a guy that you can expect to do Big things with just kind of a placeholder for the most part. I mean, it was a cute story what he did last year against the Buccaneers in the playoff game. But he's had his come down to earth moments, uh, especially in that second half when uh, the Eagles defense held uh, Washington to barely 100 yards, held them scoreless, and Jalen Hurts and company were able to not just run their way to a victory, but with their win and the Vikings' loss on Sunday Night Football, put the Eagles in the postseason. So congratulations to the city of brotherly love and uh, their fan base on getting back to the postseason. Now, uh, a couple of other teams here eliminated of. Uh, from uh, postseason contention, the Vikings I mentioned, uh, the the Browns due to even before playing tonight were eliminated due to some uh, losses yesterday, and then there were the Falcons who early on it seemed like Josh Allen was, you know, very willing and able to just give the football away to uh, the the Falcons and. Listen, I'm being cute there because I have a friend that is a Buffalo Bills fan, but that was awful conditions to play in yesterday, even for a Sunday afternoon game. It was, you know, very snowy. You know, there has been a lot of snow coming down here on the, the um, northeast in the last, you know, 24 to 36 hours. Didn't have uh, the best control of the football, but they were able to dominate the have a dominant ground game, something we have 
not said very often about the Bills uh, that much this year. They've been looked at as very much a one-dimensional type football team. And once they were able to calm down the, the Falcons' passing attack, really just uh, seized control of this game. A uh, very good game on the ground for both uh, Singletary and Josh Allen. And uh, put the, you know, put themselves in a spot where you know, if they had lost, they were going to lose the AFC East. You, know, you saw the, the Patriots' remaining schedule. They put up 50 against the Jaguars uh, yesterday. You figure that Buffalo can't have any slip-ups here or they're going to lose control of the AFC East. And with uh, them winning yesterday, puts them in a spot where now they play the Jets at home in uh, Week 18. All they got to do is win, and they get a home playoff game. But you go into Week 18, and there's still a lot up for grips. Three teams that, quite frankly, I'm stunned are still alive. The the Saints, the Ravens, and the Raiders. The Saints, you know, I've viewed them as dead men walking since uh, Jameis Winston went down with an injury. They've been throwing three, four different quarterbacks out there. Trevor Simeon, Taysom Hill. I figured after Ian Book's uh, pitiful performance last Monday night against the Dolphins that... You know, the Saints were done and out of it, but they put themselves in a scenario where they need to win next week against the Falcons and get a, a loss by the 49ers to get themselves in the postseason because there's one spot left on the, the NFC side of things with the teams uh, that clinched yesterday. The, you know, the Eagles clinched a wild card spot. Both the Rams and Cardinals are going to be in the postseason. And then, of course, you've got the Buccaneers, Cowboys, and Packers in. So it leaves one spot up for grabs. And what's cool about it is both the 49ers and Saints, they're going to play at the same time. So pressure's going to be on these teams. They're going to be looking up at that scoreboard all game long. Now, the 49ers, all they got to do, simple, win, you're in. Saints need a win and a 49ers loss. Niners can also get in if they lose, but also the Saints lose. Then you've got uh, the battle for the one through four seeds in the AFC, where the Titans, Chiefs, Bengals, and Patriots can all still be the one seed. The Bills can't be the one seed even if they win the division because they lost to Tennessee in Tennessee earlier this season on week six when Henry was still healthy. But the Chiefs are playing Saturday night at, um, at mile high against the Broncos. Well, the Titans and Bengals are both playing on Sunday afternoon at the same time. The Bills will also, as I mentioned before, be playing for the AFC East, where them and the Patriots are both playing at 425 on a Sunday afternoon, which when I saw that, I was not in favor of it. I was not happy about it because I'm like, you know, let me get the pain and misery out of the way so I can, you know, drink and 
enjoy life watching the 425 games? Why do I have to wait and let the suffering get drawn out when it comes to the final Jets game of the year? And then you've got two wildcard spots up for grabs in the AFC. The Colts are playing the Jaguars at 1 o'clock. They win, they're in. But if they lose, they're out. And the two teams playing on Sunday Night Football are, are in the postseason in a do-or-die matchup. See, if the Colts win in the afternoon, then the Sunday Night Football matchup is a do-or-die uh, scenario between the Chargers and another team that, quite frankly, I don't get it. I, I can't figure it out how uh, they're still alive in the Las Vegas Raiders, who, let's see, they've had John Gruden fired this year, Henry Ruggs arrested and never going to play football again, and cut a first-round cornerback draft pick. And still, we sit here with them at 9-7, and seven, winning games in the most inauspicious ways the the last two weeks, including yesterday's last-second field goal against uh, the Colts after uh, Carr had thrown two early interceptions. And with a win tomorrow, or a win on Sunday, excuse me, or a loss by the Colts, they are in the postseason. And you've got to give uh, Coach Passaccia um, a lot of credit for how he's handled things. You know, there are a couple of guys here that they're not going to win the Coach of the Year award, but at least have got to be in conversation. You know, Passaccia with the, with the Raiders. And then Nick Sariani with the Philadelphia Eagles, who I thought were going to be you know, the worst team in the NFC East this year. I thought there was a chance that they were going to be a top five draft pick and, you know, lose that pick to the Colts based on how much Wentz played. And, you know, Carson Wentz isn't even with them and he's still the highest paid member of the Eagles organization. That's how much dead cap money they have right now. Between that, watching Nick Sirianni's um, introductory press conference, his press conferences during the preseason, I'm like, this guy's a joke. They're going 5-12 and 12 at best. And here we sit, and they're going to the postseason. So, you know, good for Sirianni, good for Jalen Hurts, who's played well when, when healthy. They've, you know, they, they're, not, they're not a good team by any means. They're kind of a... You know, mad team that has won a lot of close games, but they are a team that they stay true to what they are. They realize that we're great at running the football and they stick to it. They don't try to be something that they're not. You know, them, the 49ers, no, the, the Indianapolis Colts, no, they realize what they are, realize that they have limitations at the quarterback. Uh, position and you know deal with it in the best way possible they're not going to win a lot of games pretty they're not going to win a lot of games in dominant spectacular fashion but they somehow win games enough to put themselves in a playoff spot now i mentioned before there's one wild card spot available in the nfc 
But what you also have on the line is two through four in the NFC between uh, the Cowboys, Rams, and Buccaneers. The Cowboys go play the Eagles on Saturday night and are in a rare spot where they could play the Eagles on back-to-back weekends uh, with this Saturday game and then playing at AT AT&T in the uh, wild card round. We'll see if the Eagles, you know, what their motivation is going to be. You know, if there's any kind of spoiler um, mentality when it comes to forcing the the Cowboys uh, to have to be the four seed rather than the two or three seed. Where if they're the four seed and they win their first playoff game, they would have to go to Lambeau, play the Packers, and have to hear all week long about the ice bowl way back in the day and what they thought was a catch wasn't a catch should not have been called a catch by Des Bryant several years ago. So even though there's a lot of teams out of it, a lot of teams eliminated this past week, there's still some interesting things to look at in this, the first week 18 in NFL history. Now, we'll get back to the NFL in a minute, but I want to uh, turn my attention to college football for a second. Um, first off, there was uh, you know, something that uh, kind of rubbed me the wrong way over uh, the weekend that I saw comments by uh, uh, Kirk Herbstreit and uh, Desmond Howard that I didn't really, you know, particularly like, didn't really think put either one of them in the best of light. Where on uh, college game day uh, over the last couple of days, they um, made some comments toward uh, college athletes that... No, they're both very well-respected commentators, broadcasters in the business, especially Herb Street. You hear him uh, with uh, Chris Fowler on the Game of the Week every Saturday uh, for either ESPN or ABC. But they were they came out were highly critical of players who opt out of bowl games. And listen, if we're talking about players from Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, or Cincinnati. The four teams that were in the college football playoff opting out of these games. I get it. I understand. I would would say that's a bad look. But these comments by Herbstreit and Howard, unnecessary. No, Kirk Herbstreit saying, quote, I think this era of player just doesn't love football, end quote. And then Desmond Howard saying, quote, when we were coming up, to go to a bowl game was a huge reward for a fantastic season. Now, kids really don't care about that. They have a sense of entitlement. Timeout. You know, back when you guys were coming up in college football, there was, what, like, eight to ten of these things? There... You know, the bowl games seemed like a big deal back then. They were they were treating it as these grand 
uh, spectacles. Now we sit here and there's 40 of these things. Probably even more, but a couple of them got canceled uh, due to COVID reasons and not having replacement teams available, which even that I think is nonsense. I mean, you had a 5-7 and seven team in Rutgers playing a bowl game on uh, Friday morning uh, only to get their ass handed to them and you know, look like a total embarrassment. But now you got 40 of these things. Anybody that's willing to throw up the money will get something of named after them. And you had a, a mayonnaise bowl, for God's sakes. You have an egg bowl, for crying out loud. Out loud. So there's a bunch of these. A bunch of these sponsors um, throwing money out there. That, that's why we know, that's the reason why ESPN is willingly at, adding to the schedule as far as bowl games are concerned. And none of this money goes to these players. None of the money goes from these meaningless bowl games that have no purpose to them whatsoever outside of the New Year's Six games. And you know there'll be the people that argue saying, oh, the players are going to school for free. Well, I mean, come on. The, the the players, you know, that they can't, you know, not play in a bowl game. But we can have coaches leave their school in between the end of the regular season and the beginning of the bowl schedule and jump to another school. You know, leave their team high and dry. We can. Have, we're okay with them doing that. There's. I don't ever hear these guys. Herb Street, Desmond Howard. Eh, any of these guys come out and rip, you know, the, the Lincoln Rileys of uh, the world or Brian Kelly's for pulling BS low character moves like that to these players that they go into their homes and recruit in front of their parents. But, oh, the, the players can't opt out of playing in a damn bowl game. I mean, look at it. Matt Corral, who's in what is a considered a weak draft class for quarterbacks this year, got injured in the Super Bowl in the first quarter. That's going to hinder his you know, preparation for the scouting combine and the draft. You don't think you know, that's going to hurt potentially where he gets drafted and, you know, how ready he is for his rookie season next year, and you know where he gets drafted, you know the slot money that comes along with that. Yeah, you know, I just thought that was, those comments were totally foul, totally out of bounds by both of these guys. Now, as I said, if players opted out of the national championship semifinals. I get it. I under understand that. I would be coming down on those guys as well uh, for doing that because you have something to play for. And those games took place this past Saturday or Friday, excuse me, with the outcomes that we pretty much expected as we're going to get Alabama versus Georgia in the rematch. You know, neither game really seemed that competitive. Cincinnati n never got anything going offensively. Their defense 
you know, kept this a game going into uh, the fourth quarter, you know, a two-touchdown game, but in the end, you know, you never felt like Alabama was in any real trouble. And outside of the first 20 minutes, you know, Georgia had no st- troubles whatsoever with Michigan. Drove down the field and scored on three of their first four possessions of this game. And, uh, you know, after what was an amazing game against Ohio State, Hassan Haskins had no answers for this Georgia defense. That, you know, I look at that SEC title game and say, blip on, on the radar there. They were not... They were the best defense in college football all year long. It's you know it was one bad game against Alabama that was probably bound to happen eventually. It just hap- so happened in the biggest game of their season where they would give up more points in one quarter than they'd given up all year long. Now, you know. Th- they know what to expect from Alabama as far as what they're going up against. Um, Nick Saban, whenever he has time to prepare for a team, is damn near unbeatable and has only lost to his former assistants twice. But I think that this is going to be a much more exciting, much more competitive game this time around. I mean, my heart wants to pick Georgia because... They're, they're somewhat of an underdog here. I say somewhat because everyone's going to be picking against them after uh, what happened in the SEC title game. And because, you know, with how much of a uh, sourpuss personality uh, Saban is half the time, never never hurts to uh, see him uh, fail. Especially, you know, you see him how nonchalant he was standing next to the cotton ball trophy on Friday but I think Alabama's going to win another title next Monday night it, no I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia won but no Alabama no it, it feels like this is a dynasty that is just going to continue to go on there no matter who the players are no matter what names are on the back of these jerseys for as long as Nick Saban is coaching the Crimson Tide. Now, as I mentioned yesterday, I was at Jets Buccaneers. One, because I'm a season ticket holder. Two, because I'm a diehard fan. And three, because as a season ticket holder, I have points on my tickets that I wanted to use at the team store. So I used those and bought these two brand new Jets hats. I don't know if you could see on the live feed, but the green one has a bit of camouflage hidden into it, which I thought was uh, pretty cool. And yesterday, for... 95% 95% of the game, you were happy as a Jet fan because, you know, win or lose, you're seeing a lot of good things here. It's Zach Wilson's arguably best game of the year. He's not turning the football over. He's throwing the ball away when uh, necessary, out of bounds, of able to avoid some pretty big hits throughout this game. You're watching Braxton Berrios continue to evolve into a use, very useful player for them that you hope they re-sign as a pending free agent. But, you know, when you're up 24 to 10, um, 
in the late stages of the third quarter against Tom Brady, who's done nothing but make your life a living hell. For as much as you respect the guy, you also hate him at the same time. You want to win that football game. And to see the Buccaneers roll off 18 unanswered after Antonio Brown walked out on them was kind of a kick in the gut. Was kind of a, you know, a terrible way to end my Sunday. Especially what what was that crap on the final you know, offensive drive of the game? You have fourth and goal or fourth and two from your own four-yard line. Braxton Berrios had been on fire that day. The play call was to hand the ball off to Berrios, and you thought that at the very minimum, you're getting a first down, and it's game over. The Buccaneers had used up their timeouts. And instead, Wilson calls his own number and decides a quarterback sneak. Zach, now that that's the first time... In this year, as far as anything you've done on the field, where literally I wanted to come down to the field and punch you in the face. Because you've got a player behind you in the backfield and Barrios had been hot, and you decide to make it all about yourself, have a me moment by calling a quarterback sneak on fourth and two. It was not fourth and inches, it was fourth and two. It wasn't like you were right at the, the goal line. It was, what, the five-yard line? You had the fourth and two? And you're going up against one of the best run-stopping teams in the league that has three very good to great run-stoppers on that defensive line. You know, the former Jet, Steve McClendon, um, is there, kind of a part-time player. Pretty good run-stopper. And Dominic Sue, great run-stopper. Vita Via, great run stopper. And those three are right there in front of you, and you decide to run the football. It made um, no sense whatsoever to me. That was a very selfish act by Zach Wilson that left a bad taste in your mouth because you knew as soon as the Bucks got the stop there that some way, somehow, they were going to win that game. That some way, somehow, they were going to pull off the completing the comeback. Especially when you look at who Brady was throwing the ball to on that drive. And he's throwing the ball to guys in Johnson, in uh Cyra Grayson, who's been cut by seven or eight different teams. And Cyber Grayson would end up getting the game, what was the game-winning score in the final 15 seconds. I said this on my Instagram story. No, respect Brady, but is this going to be what you hope is his final time coming to MetLife to torture New York Jet fans? I damn sure hope so, because thank God he's not in our division anymore where we have to see him twice a year making us absolutely miserable and wondering what could have been. Now, as bad as the Jets' season has been, 4-12, and in all likelihood going to be 4-13, and for as much as this is a young, rambunctious squad that, you know, uh, Robert Sala is going to have them 
ready and geared up to play this uh, Sunday against uh, the Bills. At least with the Jets, you feel like there's a direction as far as the future of this franchise is concerned. You know, it, it matters how Joe Douglas uses these draft picks we got coming up with two first-round draft picks, two second-round draft picks. Uh, they're going to have a lot of picks to use early and often in this draft. And they need help, especially on the defense when it comes to getting a pass rusher, getting someone in that secondary, and it's going to be key finding a number one wide receiver for Zach Wilson, whether that's in free agency or in the draft. But can someone tell me the direction that the New York Giants are heading in right now? Because I'm, I'm lost. I'm confused. Because somewhere, Joe Judge is living in an alternate world, an alternate reality from the rest of us. Yesterday, once again, the Giants got their ass handed to them. The Giants, who have been non-competitive in six out of their last seven football games. Hell, the last, was it, three, four weeks, they're averaging 10 points a game. Worse than the league. We're sitting here looking at a 4-12 football team that had been con- continuously starting Mike Glennon up until now, who's out for the rest of the year due to wrist surgery, but starting Mike Glennon and been non-competitive as hell, including yesterday going to Chicago and scoring all of three points to the Chicago Bears, who know damn well that as soon as the clock hits zero on Sunday, um, Matt Nagy is going to be getting fired. After Sunday's action against the Minnesota Vikings, Matt Nagy is going to be done as the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, or the Chicago Bears, excuse me. A team that's got nothing to play for, and you're down by 14 points before any giant fan in the world can sit back, pop open their beer, and try to enjoy their Sunday afternoon. You've got teams in the Detroit Lions and the Houston Texans that have two wins apiece this season that are going to be picking one and two in all likelihood in the draft, as well as the Jacksonville Jaguars, two wins that are more competitive, show more fire, more ambition than the New York Giants have. And I don't want to hear about injuries. I don't want to hear about who's not available due to COVID because everybody is dealing with it. All right? It's not just a Giants problem. It's an everybody in the NFL, all walks of sports, all walks of life. Everybody's had to adjust to what's going on. And still, Joe Judge is going to stand there after the game and give us this tough guy mentality with saying, oh, this ain't some clown show organization. Quote, this isn't a team that is having fist fights on the sidelines, you know, poking the bear at the Washington football team and what happened uh, with uh, with Payne and Allen uh, last week against the Cowboys. Joe Judge, you do realize that in two years as the Giants head coach, you were 10 and 22. In all likelihood, about to be 10 and 23, unless Washington forfeits on Sunday. 
You've won only two games by double digits. You've lost 14 games by double digits. You haven't scored 30 points even once during your reign. The last time they scored 30 points, Pat Shermer was still the head coach about three years ago. You've been an embarrassing team to watch. And yet, due to the fact that you're from the Belichick uh, coaching tree, which has a very awful track record outside of possibly Brian Flores. We'll see how that turns out in Miami. All of them have sucked as NFL head coaches. I mean, who knows? Josh McDaniels may still get another try, but that remains to be seen. And you're still going to sit there and talk to us like we're idiots, like we're the problem here, rather than, you know, accept any form of responsibility. I, how does John Mara not look at that and say, damn, I got to do something? How is John Mara saying, oh, don't worry, we're going to just stick with this because I don't want to make a, a third straight coaching change after that coach's second year. I mean, no, I, in my lifetime, and I'm almost at a loss for words here. I'm sorry, people. But in my lifetime, I've never seen the Giants this bad, this dysfunctional, this embarrassing. And it, it goes back to when they fired Tom Coughlin. That was the last real, besides Eli Manning, that was the last real form of class, character, and dignity they had in that building. And you've seen it all dissipate with how they handled the Odell Beckham situation, with how they handled the benching of Eli Manning several years ago. They've been an embarrassment. They've been a crap show. And this was a once proud football franchise that has turned into nothing more than a punchline and a joke. And the joke gets louder each and every week, every so every single time Joe Judge opens his mouth. And I feel sorry for you, Giant fans, because unfortunately, it sounds like this is all just going to continue. Unfortunately, it sounds like there is no true end in sight, and that Joe Judge... Just because John Mara is attached to continuity and for some reason is continuing to hire people that either have past giant ties or in some way are connected to Bill Parcells or Bill Belichick. Never going to change. Never going to change until either Steve Tisch steps in and says enough of this, John, or until they start bringing in people that aren't going to tell John Mara what he wants to hear and rather tell John Mara what he needs to hear. And that, my friends, is Keeping It Sports with M3 from Monday, January 3rd, 2022. Hopefully, I'm back in the Real Studio next week. Until then, everyone stay safe. 
try to stay healthy, try to do the right things. And I'll talk to you guys again next Monday afternoon. Enjoy the rest of your night, everyone. Peace. Thank you.